And I think that that's so much of how a story comes to be is you've got this one thing and it's, it's niggling one side of your brain. And then you wind up with something else that comes in and suddenly the, t- the interaction of the two is where it comes to life. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Terry Givens is a publisher and co-founder of Bandersnatch Books. She's also the author of the recently released novel, Rosefire. Carrie and I sat down to talk about writer's groups, dry spells, the role of namers in our creative lives, and those characters who just show up unbidden in the stories we write. Carrie Givens, I'm so glad that you're on the Habit Podcast. Thank you. I'm really glad I'm on the Habit Podcast. So your uh, new, not not brand brand new, but new, pretty new novel, Rosefire, yes. mm-hmm. came out in the summer mm-hmm. um, through Bandersnatch Books. Yes. Uh, tell me about Bandersnatch Books and why is it called that? Yes. That's what you about. call a softball. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that because, you know, I need some, some leverage. Um. Yeah, so Bandersnatch Books is a new small press publisher that actually I started with two friends, uh, Annie Beth Donahue and Rachel Donahue. And the three of us um, have all been in the world of writing for a long time. All of us are writers. Um, All of us have had interest in publishing over the years. And all of us have run into the mantra that I know I heard multiple times from bigger institutions, whether that's editors for publishers or agents or or whatever, that was, this is really good. It doesn't fit into the right categories. I don't know how I'd sell it. Mm -hmm. And so that was really the impetus because we knew we were in that boat and we also knew that we have a whole lot of friends who have found themselves in the similar boat and their options at that point are often self-publish or don't get it out there Mm -hmm. um and most of us are not like we might be able to write a really good book but we don't have the skill set for printing it or distributing it or marketing mm-hmm. it or any of yeah. that. And there's, you know, there are some, some, you know, print on demand is not as terrible as it used to be. Right. Um, you know, there's some options for getting it out there, but you still, you get a little bit more uh, weight with mm-hmm. an organization behind you. And between Rachel and Annie Beth and I, we had quite a few of those skill sets. Um, Mm -hmm. I've worked in communications for years. So I learned how to talk to printers 15 years ago, you know, (laughs) so things like that. Um, And so we kind of said, well, we've got a good set of skills and the things that we don't know how to do, we know people who know how to do and we can Mm -hmm. ask them questions or hire them, you know, subcontract them for things. And um, so we decided, you know what, let's let's start a publishing company. Uh-huh. And we had actually all been in a writing group together that was based off of our, our structure and our function, like how we functioned was actually based off of Diana Glyer's book, Bandersnatch. Uh-huh. Um, we used kind of the format that she gives and the questions that she asks in there um, for how we gave feedback to one another. And so we called ourselves the Band of Bandersnatches. Um, now, Bandersnatch, her Bandersnatch is 
out of a, a Lewis Tolkien quote, um, where I think it's Lewis says about Tolkien, uh, nobody can influence Tolkien. You might as well try to influence a Bandersnatch. Uh-huh. Um, a Bandersnatch originally is from Lewis Carroll and yeah. uh, Jabber. It's the Jabberwocky um, section of Through the Looking Glass. There's a Bandersnatch in there. Yeah. So, so you're making the, a reference to a reference to a exactly, reference. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we really believe in taking it all the way to the nth degree of association. Um, <laughs> so I've told Diana Glyer, you know, she's our grandmother. Like, she's my book's grandmother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> somehow. And... Um, so it's been really fun to to really look for those books that are off the beaten path, look path, look for those uh-huh. authors that you know, they might have a book that the book itself a general market publisher would pick it up, but the author doesn't have the platform that they want mm-hmm. or um, you know, things like that. And so that's kind of been our goal and we're we're starting small and we're starting with our own stuff so that we can screw up on our own books <laughs> um before we start screwing up on other people's. Um <laughs> And so the first the first title that we put out was Rosefire. Yeah. And y'all started Bandersnatch during the pandemic, correct? Do I have that we right? We did. We did. We looked around and said, what should three uh, women who are, you know, nearing middle age do during a pandemic when two of them have four children at home each Mm -hmm. um, and one of them has a full-time job that's highly demanding. What should we do? We should start a company and Uh publish other people's books. Uh You know, that that just seemed like a brilliant idea. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a, it's a project that grew out of friendship and, and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love it. Um, and I love, I mean, even the name, you know, the, the fact that, you, that the name of the, the company is a reference to a reference to a reference, right? You're yep, referring yep. to Diana's book, which was referring to Lewis's quote, which was referring to, uh, yeah, Lewis Carroll, which I think that really was the original, right? I don't, I don't I think believe he goes so. back. I think he just made up the word. Yeah. But it's it's fun to think of, of you know you are entering into the conversation right in that name you're exactly entering into a conversation that's been going on for a while exactly and I am that's one of my things like that art art begets art uh-huh. um, and I love talking about that and thinking about that and um, I think that the fact that we wound up with the name we have for Bandersnatch is just another another element of that yeah right. Well, tell me, so you, you already mentioned you have a full-time job, mm-hmm. um, and yet you managed to write Rosefire, which is your second novel yes. written. Yes, yep. Um, so you are not giving your, uh, your primary work hours to, to writing. So tell me about that process, how, yeah. you, how yeah. you made this happen how I made this happen. Well, not only that, but I also really like sleep. And so, Uh you know, (laughs) there's not a a lot of time when I'm not working or sleeping. So yeah, for me, um, it, it was a very long process. It took me about five years to Mm -hmm. write a first draft. Uh Um, and then another, seven years to get it published, um, you know, to get it all the way to being a, a book in the real life. So, yeah. um, you know, from initial seed idea, we're talking fall of 2008 for the initial seed idea. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, I, I, 
I listen to your to your podcast and I and I read your emails and I think I want to be a writer with really good habits and <laughs> writing habits and yeah. um I think I have some but I'm not <laughs> great at them. Yeah. I'm not great at the like making that the priority and you know whether that's on a daily basis or a weekly basis making sure that I'm always doing that and that's because there's a lot else going on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working full time. I'm running my house. Um, I'm taking my cats to the vet. I'm <laughs> hiring someone to mow my lawn because I'm like, it's way too hot to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, all of those things that I'm, that I'm kind of doing. And, um, and so for me, writing kind of comes in fits and spurts. Uh -huh. Um, but it's also always been, I'm motivated by the people around me who are interested in reading it or wanting to, you know, that, that are, that are encouraging me to keep going. Yeah. Um, and so being in a writer's group, which I will say, you know, in launching Bandersnatch books, our, our writer's group part of the meetings, we haven't done quite so much. Oh, and we, yeah. you know, we're all, all looking this fall going, okay, we need to get back to that. Uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. And make sure we're doing that. So, but that was like, you know, I'd write to a meeting and be inspired from the meeting and write from a meeting. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I like that language, writing to a meeting and writing from a meeting. And yeah, and I mean, I think back and I'm like, when I taught college freshmen, I'm like, this is not how you should write. But I figure I have an editing process afterwards. So, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but just getting the text out, getting the story out. Um and so, like, in, in writing Rose, well, even my first book is The King's Messenger, and that I wrote as short stories over the course of eight years, uh -huh. you know? And, and so, again, yeah. it actually, it might have even been 12 years until I got all, and eventually then I shaped those short stories into chapters of a whole. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it came out just a, a little bit at a time, and um, for Rosefire... You know, it was a similar process of, I had the idea, I started kind of writing scenes. Um, yeah. I, I don't plan, I don't outline. Um, I have sort of thematic ideas mm -hmm. that I want to tell a story about. Um, usually characters walk into my imagination and introduce themselves, and then they demand a story to live in. And <laughs> so I have to figure out, you know, here's this character, here's this theme. And so I hear people say that kind of, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I no, that's great. Go for I it. I hear people say this, this, the things like the character introduced, you know, the characters come in and introduce themselves. Can you say like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. Can you say that? What, yeah. What you, so, can you I mean, be more specific about that? Absolutely. I'll give you a couple of examples. That's, okay. you know, as specific as I can get. Um, so, for Rosefire, for example, um, I spent a lot of time in T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets. Mm -hmm. um, I was introduced to it in college, and it is one of my absolute favorite poems. And it's one that I just go back to and just sort of wash my brain in uh, yeah. regularly. Yeah. And I approve of that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here for here for <laughs> all the four quartets uh, promo. Yeah. And um, I there's a line, a couplet in there that's ash on an old man's sleeve is all the ash the burnt roses leave. And one of the times I was reading four quartets, that image, you know, mm. ash on an old man's sleeve immediately was an elderly monk mm. shaking ash off of his sleeve and that that 
image winds up in the final chapter of Rosefire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew, like, as soon as I had that image of the elderly monk, I had this old man. And I was like, I, I, I can't remember for sure if he had the name Ezra immediately. But mm-hmm. um, I had this this old man who was a monk who... and. The reason there was ash on his sleeve was because roses had been burned. And that's another roses and fire. There's a lot of that in four quartets. Um, And so then it was just like, okay, what's the backstory there? Like what's, what's Ezra's story to tell? And so it was just sort of digging into who is this character. And fairly quickly after that, I had Karen and Anya and Richard, who are kind of my other four main characters. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's you know that's just one example where it he he came not fully formed um but he came as a person um yeah. and I then had to figure out okay exactly who is this person and yeah. what's the story he wants to live in and then I, I like that idea that you say he, he he came as a person not as a fully formed person like yeah it's just it feels like you you've got to know just enough to mm-hmm. then investigate exactly uh, exactly. Know, he, he, that character's still going to reveal himself to you. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, my first book, The King's Messenger, the main character is Smuggins. And that, the very first story I wrote in college, and again, it was a line of poetry. Um, we were reading Milton's um, uh, When I Consider How My Light Is Spent. Uh-huh. And the final couplet of that is They Also Serve Who Only Stand and Wait. And it's, I'm sitting in a class in college, the teacher is talking about this poem, we're discussing it, and I suddenly have a messenger for the king who's only ever waited. He's Mm -hmm. never actually been called on to serve. Yeah. And so suddenly it was this digging into who's, who is this? You know, what's, (laughs) what's his story? What's he going to do? And then he eventually became Smuggins. And um, that's another that, like, the name, I did not... I didn't go digging for the name Smuggins. Um, it's kind of a silly name, but he came with it. Um, and another within Rosefire, kind of my other main character beyond the four I've mentioned is Edmund. And that's one where it was as I was writing, um, I knew, I kind of have sort of tent poles of where the story's heading. Once I start writing, I'm like, okay, it's it's going to get to this point and it's going to get to this point and it's going to get to this point. And eventually it'll get to an end. Um, and I knew I needed to get from wherever I was to the next point. And I needed somebody outside the family to come into the story to just sort of move the action along. And so I had family friends come for a meal. And my intention in your was book, not in, in my life. book, in the yeah. story. Mm-hmm, yeah. So family friends, come, sorry, right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> It could happen in real life, too, but no, in the story, family, friends come for a meal. And in my my intention in that in writing that chapter was this character is basically going to get my protagonist from point A to point B, mm-hmm. you know, the interaction with this character. And at the end of the chapter, I was like, oh, oh, he's a main character. Oh, he's got a whole arc of his own. Oh, he's I better change his name because I don't like William. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So I had to go back and, you know, I'd put a, put a few more things into yeah. the earlier part of the, the chapter and I changed his name to Edmund. Um, but he then wound up becoming one of my favorite characters in the book. And yeah. um, again, you know, it, 
it's uh, Madeline Langle talks about in um, the Arm of the Starfish. She talks about this in the book Walking on Water, but in her book The Arm of the Starfish, um, her character Adam wakes up in a hotel room and Joshua, um, who's another character, is sitting in the chair in the corner. And she had not planned for Joshua to be sitting in the chair in the corner. She didn't have a character in her book named Joshua. <laughs> um, and she says, you know, he was sitting in the corner. And I knew the moment I saw him there in the corner that he was going to sacrifice his life for Adam. Hmm. And his name was Joshua. And she's like, I had to go back and rewrite whole sections of the book yeah. <laughs> in order for him to do what you know he needed to do. But um, I just think there there are there are ways that you know, characters people your imagination and yeah. and ask for a story to live in, and you want to figure out what the right one is. Yeah, I know. In in nineteen ninety one, well, I was about nineteen one, nineteen ninety two, ninety three, somewhere along in there, somebody told me a story about his grandmother mm. who grew up in California, and he his he had a. The, the grandmother had a maybe an Austrian father and a Scottish mother or vice versa. And they lived in mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but this little girl um, dreamed of kangaroos and she um, uh, like she had never seen a kangaroo, had never been to the zoo. They didn't have kangaroos in her part of California, you know, <laughs> and and um, so she like she saw a kangaroo in a book, and she said, I, I, "That's what I dream about." You know that that was, huh. and but she had always she knew what kangaroos were, and yet she was just this, this little girl in in California, a small town, huh. and um, she never knew why she knew about kangaroos. Right after she got grown up, after she grew up, she discovered that she wasn't from California; she was from Australia, and that her mother wasn't her mother, and that. Her her father, who actually I now remember the father was Scottish, the the mother was Austrian or German, a German speaking person. Uh, her her father was her father, uh-huh. but her mother was her nanny. Her oh, nanny, word. and they ran off and moved to California. And so when she was a little teeny weeny before she could remember, she had seen. Right. And so she she discovers at you know age twenty or whatever that she's an Australian. Right. And that story just made a huge impression on me. Um, and and then, um, you know, what what I wrote, The Charlton's Boy, in 2008. So that's what, eight, 15 years later, mm-hmm. I was sort of just thinking about, uh, you know, the fact that we don't know, none of us know yeah. where we came from. Right? Yeah. Somebody tells us. And, and so that, you know, so the first line of the Charlotte's boy is, um, I don't know one thing about the day I was born and, right. and he's a, a person who doesn't know that, you know, the only person who can tell him who he is, is a liar. Yeah. And, and so that whole story grew out of, grew out of that idea. I love that. And it, it's that just letting something marinate and, you know, and, and it pulls together. I, somebody just recently, I think it was, I was listening to the Withy Wendell podcast mm-hmm. and somebody that was on there. Maybe it, it may have even been Sam Smith, um, S.D. Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were talking about how you don't need to, to write a good, good story or a good book. You don't need just one good idea. You need a few of them and you need to find where they inter- interact yeah. and where they interface. Yeah. And I think that that's so much of how 
a story comes to be is you are, you've got this one thing and it's, it's niggling one side of your brain. And then you wind up with something else that comes in and suddenly the, t- the interaction of the two is where it comes to life. Um, yeah. Now I would add, I, w- I would add one caveat. Mm-hmm. You don't need just one idea. You need multiple good ideas. Right. But you don't right. need a hundred good ideas. True. Exactly. You know? it's, it's always surprising to me uh, when I, you know, how few, like, so if you, if you write a 250 page book, you don't need 250 good ideas. No. Yeah. You need and then yeah. you need to play them out. Right. And, and then in the process, you will have some more good ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but I think that's a remarkable thing. And you also don't need pages and pages and pages of, of beautiful sentences. Right. You need, you need some beautiful sentences. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's surprising how, how few good sentences you actually have to have before it starts to feel like the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A, and a lot of it's just blocking and tackling kind of. You know, exactly. Moving things along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that was, you know, for me in terms of, you know, living a life and getting, I kind of wrote to the end of every chapter, yeah. you know, and it was like, okay. And looking back at it now, I'm like, I've got some really good chapter cliffhangers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. you know, but that was because it was like, okay, I'm going to get to the turn of the action, Yeah, you know, and then that gives me fodder for what's coming next mm-hmm. that yeah. I can percolate on until I go yeah. until the next, yeah. you know, and, and right to the next of the end. I like of the that next as, chapter. as a, as an insight for how you keep going whenever you don't, when you are going in fits and starts. Right. Right. Yeah. I have to make one, I have to make one correction. What I just said, I said, you don't need a lot of good sentences. I, what I meant was you don't need a lot of lyrical sentences. Yes. Yeah. All <laughs> sentences should be good. That's right. All the sentences, <laughs> but there are lots of different kinds of good sentences. Exactly. They can be, yeah. they can be uh, your, your best workday wear. They don't have to be your Sunday best. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Um, you talked a minute ago, and you may not have any more to say about this, and that's okay if you don't, but, mm-hmm. but you, you talked about writing to the deadline or, or writing to the, the meeting and writing from the meeting when you were talking mm-hmm. about with, mm-hmm. your, with your um, writer's group. Um, and do you have any more to say about that? Because I really like that insight yeah it feels like it that feels like a kind of helpful thing to remember especially Mm -hmm. in your situation where you got a lot going on besides writing books Mm -hmm. yeah well I, i think so the writing to the meeting part is just you know when you have people who are expecting something they don't need a polished beautiful thing they just they want to know what's next you know it's the it's the the kid at bedtime you know when mom's making up stories or dad's making up stories and well what happens next what happens next you know so you've got sort of that that external motivator of i want to tell them the next part of this um and we would we would laugh at our at our bandersnatch team meeting or uh bandersnatch writing group meetings um just like I'd be like, well, I have like, you know, four pages. And they're like, great, you know. <laughs> and then, there zero pages. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and with, you know, Rosefire, it, one of my, I, if we can come back to this, but I, I had a period that I didn't write a single thing for six months straight and kind of restarted. And, and one of the people who was part of that is my good friend, Christine, who was my roommate at the time. And she came back from being away for the summer and was like, 
would you read it to me? And, you know, I had a good amount at that point. I was maybe halfway through overall. Um, But once I started reading it to her, then I started catching up to where I was. And so then I had to keep writing in order to (laughs) stay ahead. Um, But it was, again, it was that someone who had an expectation and who had a desire to to take part in it. And one of the things I love about Diana's book is she talks about not going Diana into this Glyer, meeting. Vandersnatch. Yes, sorry. Um, <laughs> Diana Glyer's book, Vandersnatch, she talks about not going into those meetings, that kind of collaborative meeting with something very polished that you're very precious about, but going in with something that's just kind of the raw words on the page yeah. because A, you'll be more open to the feedback, yeah. um, but B, it's, it's just a, a more malleable time in the work mm-hmm. that you're working on and people can give insight. Um, So that's kind of the writing to the meeting. For me, then, the writing from the meeting comes from the feedback I've been given and the, ooh, that was, you know, I really like where you're going with that character or, you know, ooh, this was a really interesting or, oh, I don't understand how this worked. Um, Can you help me clarify that? You know, and all of those pieces and the questions that arise, the excitement that comes if if you had something good the you know like all of those things then are just fodder for you're like oh okay i know where i'm going next um i want to do something more with this character now that sort of thing no that i I love that insight of just you know writing to the meeting just getting something on paper not being as you said precious about it uh knowing that the way i'm going to to make this better is it's good, you know. It's really trusting the process. As we yeah. talk about this, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to know where to go. I'm going to be energized. Yeah. Um, have you, have you ever uh, come out of a a writers group um, less inclined to like mm. discouraged and, mm-hmm. and you have anything you want to say about the Donahues that, that weighs it. <laughs> <sense? laughs> I mean, one time Rachel I mean, here's was your so mean. No. <laughs> No, I I have not. Um, and I think some of that is I have incredibly encouraging and kind friends. Yeah. Um, but also, I think some of that's just my personality that, you know, I, I can take a lot of guff. Um, and I appreciate the feedback. And uh, especially if it's not given to me in a cruel manner. <laughs> um <laughs> And so, so the feedback spurs me on to make something else uh, or to make it better or to go on from it as opposed to discouraging me and telling me I should scrap the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you say this took, um, I think you said five years to write. Rosefire took five years to mm-hmm. write. Um, I'm assuming if you took, if it took you five years, you weren't writing steadily for five years. You said no. Start, yeah. Were there, were, were there really long periods when you just yeah. Yeah. So one of those periods was as I was writing my grad thesis. Um, Uh (laughs) Focus was somewhere else. And and I honestly, I actually, I came up with the idea for Rosefire the semester before my thesis semester. And I was doing creative thesis. So I was writing a book for a thesis. Um, And I debated, should I work on this? Or I had another idea already. And it really came down to which advisor I wanted to work with. Mm. Um, I really wanted to work with Dr. Wertheim, who was my advisor. And I knew that my other work, um, which was, it's a historical fiction based on the lives of my great grandparents using their journals and letters and and things like that. So it really, though it's written as fiction, pulls a lot of the memoir kind of things. 
my professor was a memoirist. Like that was his yeah. field. And I was like, I want to learn from him about this craft and yeah. this kind of, of creating a story. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just decided to go with the other piece for that, which I haven't published yet, but you know, someday um, <laughs> I basically wrote a novella and I'm like, do I write the other half of it or do I release a novella? I don't know. Um <laughs> And uh, so that that was one, you know, large block of time that I was not working on Rose Fire at all, except for, you know, maybe on Sunday morning when I got bored during a sermon. Um, (laughs) uh, And then the other very significant block of time was, for me, it was kind of end of 2011 into 2012. And I, um, so I'd been working, you know, like I said, I was probably about halfway through the story at that point. Um, but I, um, there was about five different tragic losses in my life, all in a couple of month period of time. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, my job was very demanding. And, you know, so it was all of these things together, I think the grief and, and the the trauma of those losses, Uh as well as the demands of a day job. Um, I literally, I actually have, I pulled them out last night, um, notebooks. And I I basically, I tend to just sort of have one notebook that I write down everything in and just have that with me. So it's my sermon notes. It's my, (laughs) you know, um, story ideas. It's whatever it happens to be. If I, I, hate underlining in books. So I just write out the sentences when I'm reading a good book (laughs) and things like that. And uh, so I look at one of these notebooks and there's from about January, 2012 until July, there is one entry and it is, it wound up being the final scene of Rose Fire. Mm. Um, But that is the only thing I put down on paper. Like I didn't even take notes during sermons um, for the seven months there. And a lot of that was just, you know, I I just couldn't, nothing, nothing was coming. And I came kind of the end of that season was a, a, it wasn't a, a great light bulb moment, but one of the pieces was, my friend Saritha, who's an artist, um, she came over for dinner one night, and I have no recollection what we talked about, but we'd both been through a lot of what I <laughs> was dealing with. And both of us, after that night, whatever our conversation was, both were able to create something. Again, I wrote a few pages. She painted a painting. Uh-huh. Um my roommate, Christine, came back after having been away for the summer and asked if I would read read it to her. And yeah. so that was, you know, again, the motivation. And yeah. then the kind of the third piece in the puzzle was actually going to my very first Touch Moot conference um, that fall, fall of 2012. And it was this just drinking in the beauty, drinking in all of the wisdom and knowledge that I was I was seeing there at Hush Moot and just being refilled and refreshed and going, oh, right, I can create. You know, I am I am created by a creator who wants me to create, you know. And so kind of those, that was sort of July through end of September, beginning of October period. And, and that's really then I got, got back in gear and I finished the first draft by the next summer. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I, I'm curious how did that um how did that 
seven month period of mm. trauma and grief and suffering shape your work that you did when you did start back? Yeah. Like, that's something you may not, that may not have been something you want right. to talk about. Right. No, I, I'm happy to talk about it. I haven't even asked myself that question before. So let me see if I can uh-huh. think of how it did. I think, I mean, a lot of one of the major themes in Rosefire is the fear of death Mm -hmm. um, and what does death mean and is there eternity beyond death? And so having, you know, multiple deaths Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of coming at you, anytime I have had someone close to me die, um, I'm a you know, I'm a Christian, I believe they go to heaven, you know, so, so anytime that has happened in my life, I feel like the veil has gotten a little bit thinner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not just this nebulous things happen after death. It's like right. someone I know mm-hmm. is no longer in this plane of existence. And I don't know exactly what the next plane of existence is. Um, but the, you know, that, that, that veil that um yeah. I don't even, the division feels feels yeah. lighter and so i think that that definitely kind of would have woven itself into rose fire um i think that the value of the friendships and how that collaboration collaboration not even in a writing sense i mean mm-hmm. my two friends at that point who really were i mean they the books dedicated to them because they were my impetus for continuing to tell the story. Um, neither of them at that point would have called themselves writers. Um, and uh, Christine, I remember, especially we, we kept talking about like, she's, she came to Hutchmoot one year and she's like, what do I, what do I call myself? <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, yeah. we, we just trying to figure out and, and she, one of the things I have said to her is, is she's a namer. She's a person who, who's able to see in someone else, this is your gift, go do it. Um, And so she did that for me. And um, so those weren't even, you know, I wasn't going to a writing group. I wasn't getting critical or, or um, constructive writing feedback. Um, It was just the encouragement of a band of Mm -hmm. sisters Mm -hmm. and, and the story that that I tell is the story of a storyteller. Um, and she doesn't know that she's the storyteller um, until someone says, that's your part. That's what you're doing. Um, I think that that was part of the process. I, I, Rosefire is a story about a storyteller. And she doesn't know that she's the storyteller until her friends come around her and name her as tell the stories like that's your part um and so you know i have a namer in my story because i had a namer in my life that's man i i I love that you're i love that you're saying that i mean we we need people who who as you said tell us who we are Mm -hmm. nobody gives themselves their own name right right um that's great uh i as you were talking about your seven months without writing, um, you know, one thing that occurred to me is as important as writing is, it's not the most important thing in the world. 
Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and, and sometimes life intervenes and, and you are, um, things that, you know, it's, it's very appropriate for you to, to not be writing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so many people felt that this past year with the pandemic where, you know, you're suddenly like, oh, well, I'm at home. And of course, all of the memes on social media were like, well, if you don't get a novel written, um, (laughs) you're wasting your time. And yet so many of my friends were just stymied. Yeah. And, you know, the stress and the, the losses and, you know, all of the things that we were dealing with, those mess up your creativity. They, mm-hmm. they sap the energy that you would normally pour into creative energy. Um, and I think, you know, being able to forgive ourselves for that and, mm-hmm. and be okay with it, um, mm-hmm. not shame ourselves for it yeah. uh, and, and look forward and say, okay, so where do I go from here? Yeah. Yeah, um, that's good. I, it's it is a strange thing how much shame we feel about not being. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a, there are so many things that are outside of your control when it comes to right. I mean, there are things that are in your control, and you should control the things you can control. Uh-huh. And then there's some things that aren't and, exactly. And it's it's and I, but I think it's I think it's because you know writers artists have their identity wrapped up in that kind of creativity mm-hmm. in ways that you know other other occupations or other or other habits or not, uh, hobbies or whatever mm-hmm. don't and so you know if i'm not a writer who am i right well you're right. a human being <laughs> and you're, a, <laughs> you're a you know you're part of a community and you're part of a family and you're you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um, and so uh so important to to know that that you're separate from from your work and yes of course i mean it's it's it it's silly i mean it, you know i always make uh comparisons to plumbers you know, and it, it, it's not the, it, it's not the same thing. It, it'd be it's silly to to say that it's just like being a plumber. You know, it's not just like being a plumber. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but the uh, but at least you know one thing I appreciate about plumbers is that they is they can separate their work for themselves. Right. Right. And when the pipe leaks, the pipe leaks, and they go fix it. But they don't say, "I guess I'm not a plumber after all." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay, we are uh, coming to the end of our allotted time. So uh, you, you may uh, you may know uh, what you have to do before you leave, and that is you have to tell us who are the writers who make you want to write. Yeah, I do know that, and that yeah. you would not believe how many writers have gone through my head as I've thought about how would I answer this question. I think the first is just the poets, and I say that very broadly because pretty much any poetry can inspire me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, particularly, I mean, Elliot is a perfect example. Um, I think I love, I'm a terrible poet, uh-huh. uh, who loves poetry. Right. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I love how I like basketball, po- but I can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I love how a poet can distill into a tiny phrase, a whole world. Mm-hmm. And what inspires me is, oh, there's that phrase I want to unpack the whole world mm-hmm. um, yeah. and the whole story. And so that's that's song lyrics, that's poems, that's worship songs. I mean, the number of times that I've been, you know, in church and there's like a line and I'm, there's a story in my head. Um, 
from one line. And so that's definitely a big one. Um, John the Evangelist, uh, John's Gospel. And I think yeah. that goes somewhat hand in hand with the poetry. It is a very yeah. poetic gospel. But John's yeah. Gospel is such a beautiful telling of the greatest story. Uh-huh. And I just want to unpack pieces of that and mm-hmm. retell it in new ways. And um, that's so exciting to me. Russ Ramsey, I love mm-hmm. his retelling the stories series. Yeah. And that yeah. so often again it's it's a telling of the greatest story and yeah. so therefore i come into it and i'm seeing something new and i want to mm-hmm. tell a story i've got you know a work in very slow progress um <laughs> that that uh, two of the characters are from essentially a throwaway throwaway line in mm. um the ad no the the, the king of glory one mm. The one for Easter, that one. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm sure it's not a throwaway line, but, you know, it's not the main point of the right. day. Yeah. And um, Madeleine Engel, uh-huh. I think I've read a lot of her work, both for children, for young adults, for writers, um, mm-hmm. and for adults. And I... I think based on what I've read of her process, we probably had a similar, she was definitely much more diligent than I am, (laughs) but uh, probably a similar way of approaching creativity. And so many of her stories, you know, the characters are characters that I've had as friends since I was a child. And um, so I think that that's really, really inspiring. Um, And I mean, there's so many authors that I love but they don't. They aren't necessarily the ones who make me want to write. Yeah, um, sure. And I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Nate Wilson, Andy Wilson's books. Um, his are more like I read them and go, "Well, never going to have prose that good." Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but it is like, ooh, th- there's there's something to aim for in terms yeah. of of direction. I I have no expectation of being able to write about wind scratching its back on grass, um, uh-huh. which is such a great picture. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but I think you've got it in you, Carrie. I, I'm, <laughs> I have, have every confidence. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, Carrie uh, Gibbons, thank you so much for being here and I uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.